हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब सो टुडे इट इज माय ऑनर टू ब्रिंग टू यू अ कॉन्वर्सेशन विद डॉक्टर पल्लवी चक्रवर्ती a kathakar noted anthropologist dance artist and choreographer she is the founder of kotia dancers a non-profit south asian arts organization based in philadelphia pittsburgh and subhashram kolkata she's also the noted author of the books bells of change and this is how we dance and she is the chair of dance at swarthmore college welcome pallavidi how are you i'm good how are you Pramit I'm doing well I'm really looking forward to this conversation uh, just for everyone else I came across Pallavi ji's work as I was looking through the New York Kathak Festival's YouTube page and she has like a small uh, snippet in that a 19 second clip where she talks about what contemporary and classical dance is and how we shouldn't be relegating kathak to the title of just classical and there's so much more to it and we'll that's something we'll be getting into in our conversation and polavidi i guess with with you i just want to start with your dance journey how it began and how did you start doing kathak sure um first of all uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to speak to you uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to the younger generation and always a pleasure to uh, see that they are interested in the art forms the traditional slash contemporary art forms of india and that you are doing this podcast with a number of artists so uh, kudos to you um so yes uh, my journey uh, briefly um i will speak about it with you um so i started uh, obviously i uh, was born and brought up in india and so all my learning um, of dance happened in india and then i came to uh, this country um, as an adult and i did my graduate work in um, anthropology uh, so my dance uh, you know involvement i should say started with uh, children's little theater uh, in kolkata where i was introduced to a variety of dance forms uh, classical folk kathak was part of the classical forms that i was introduced to over there and then we as a in children's little theater we used to tour all over india uh, which was just a fabulous experience um, as a child and also as a young adult uh, to go to different parts of india to uh, kind of witness and experience the diversity of india as well as to be able to uh, perform so many different folk styles classical styles and our dance we are called dance dramas where a um, mix of all these styles created by um, respected gurus uh, you know during those times in um, kolkata so so that was really how all of this started and then i wanted to focus on kathak uh, because i kind of fell in love with the dance uh, with the dance with the music the power of uh, its imageries um, so i wanted to study with a teacher or a guru and i found my guru through a friend of mine um, her name is bulbuli she was uh, the daughter of uh, the famous filmmaker rithik ghatok uh, and she took me to my teacher bandana sen saying that my father calls her the living mirabai and so uh, 
that was just absolutely you know transformational for me to uh, meet her to meet someone as knowledgeable as her who was deeply uh, immersed in the dance and totally devoted to the form uh, she was uh, a single woman her environment was different than most of the dance institutions i had been exposed to at that time um, she didn't have a lot of support from uh, the state or private institutions but somehow she had sustained herself her personal story is also very interesting um, and so all of this was a great inspiration for me to continue to learn from her in a kind of a single minded way to delve deep into the tal and the bowl structures uh, she had been trained by the famous shambhu maharaj of lucknow gharana and jai kumari devi of jaipur gharana and she had also performed with tabla maestros like shanta prashad so here was this absolute uh, you know well of knowledge that i was exposed to and that was uh, very fortunate i think to be able to study with her the way i did and but through that learning with her i came to experience certain kinds of uh, silence in the kathak form uh, the silencing of uh, female dancers the silencing of uh, later on of course i realized it was also the silencing of the tawives or the courtesans who were really the original bearers of the tradition and the kind of the patriarchal gharana system that marginalizes the voices of women practitioners in fact when i was learning from her women seldom were called gurus uh, so all of this created an impact i guess in my very young mind <clears throat> and i wanted to explore more uh, all these inequality and uh, there was nothing that was there which would allow me to explore this so uh actually i started uh with anthropology to make a long story short to study uh you know indian dance and to explore uh the history of kathak also to kind of engage in what we call ethnography to talk to um a number of kathak dancers and my focus was women kathak dancers and i wanted to expand the notion of dance itself not as something that is just an art form so only performed by the very successful and a select few who are fortunate and being born with a silver spoon as you see in india but also to expand it to include people who are generally uh, not celebrated as artists who are in the margins so i kind of refocused it as practice kathak as practice not kathak as that is performed by famous people and that allowed me to kind of really look at the larger population of dancers female dancers and i was looking at dancers who were coming from the mafasals the small towns around kolkata to come to kolkata to study with teachers and i was very interested in seeing what it meant to them why were they doing this rather than you know learning computers or something like that and this i'm talking about you know in 1998 1999 when i was doing my earliest field work for my dissertation and of course later on i went back and studied it more and i wrote my book which was published in 2008 bells of change kathak dance women and modernity in india so these were basically lower middle class i identified them as lower middle class women who were making a living from kathak 
not a lot of money, but teaching dance to various, uh, you know, students in their communities and uh, also performing in venues and keeping dance alive, you know, in a way that makes it meaningful for all of us and to a large number of people. Um, so that was really important for me to kind of be able to expand the idea of dance and how classical, so I also interrogated the meaning of classical there and kind of talked about it um, as something that brings uh, cultural capital people, that if you say you're a classical dancer in those times, it has changed now, I think, to some extent, that um, classicism brought a certain amount of capital, uh, social capital with it. So you uh, were respected as a traditional, you know, cultural bearer and, and so forth. So these women who belong to, uh, you know, the lower middle classes, not all of them, but many of them, and some of them also to lower caste, were able to find some kind of agents through the dance, despite the fact that it was framed as a patriarchal Brahminical dance form. And also, I looked at the role of the state, the Indian state, in perpetuating certain kinds of ideology of classicism, uh, which remains problematic even now. Um, so this kind of patriarchal Brahminical classicism that is perpetuated to, through the state, and of course now picked up by various different cultural organizations also, which marginalizes uh, various different voices who are also participating in this culture. So basically after that, um, you know, that was a significant part of my, I guess, um, engagement with Kathak. And after I started, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, writing about it and uh, started doing my publishing work, academic career, uh, it seemed that that was not enough. I wanted to perform. In fact, I started performing in graduate school again. Uh, the first piece that I created was Silencing the Notch about the history of the courtesans or the Muslim Tawaifs who were, you know, erased from the Kathak history. This is a huge subject, which I can't go into right now because then it will take up the entire time. Uh, but I kind of looked at that, uh, you know, when I was doing my research and that was the first piece I did. And then also I did a piece called uh, Imagining Jamuna, where it was really about the women who come and clean rooms, uh, you know, the quote unquote, the servants uh, in India. And it was based on a particular uh, woman called Jamuna, and uh, she was a tribal woman. And I kind of wanted to interrogate this notion of goddesses in classical dance that why does it have to be about Hindu goddesses all the time and so it was really wonderful to find people who were uh, agreeable to do these kinds of dances and so we started Kotia dances started as a performing group of young people some very young people also and some you know young adults uh, to kind of explore Indian dance, specifically Kathak, in different ways in the diaspora, in this diasporic context. And so Kotia dancers then slowly grew. We started doing, you know, performances, but we remained small. And we even now, we are pretty small in the sense that, you know, we have not uh, professionalized. We are a nonprofit, but we have not professionalized in terms of uh, writing a lot of grants and things like that. I also kind of resisted 
uh, institutionalizing it uh, to some extent uh, because I wanted complete freedom in terms of how I would explore my artistic works. And um, also because I work with community, um, so all the focus is um, in community and many of them are non-dancers, so, you know, women coming from different professions who want to kind of dance, explore another aspect of their identity. Um, so I think that we were able to find this space, uh, which we are called courtyard. It's not been easy. Uh, in fact, it has been a very difficult journey. It continues to be a very difficult journey, specifically because we are in the diaspora, we are dealing with themes that are not really that exciting for the American audience or the Indian American audience, sometimes because it's far hard for people to find the relevance uh, in this country. Sometimes, not always, sometimes you are able to create those global connections, but sometimes it is harder. Um, and I guess um, to generate revenue, we had to make it into a school and uh, so that we get some funds to continue to create our work, uh, the kind of work that uh, we want to create. And the, so the kind of works we have created, you know, Asander or the Mahatma is still fasting is really kind of very much based on the traditional aspects of Kathak in terms of musicality, in terms of poetry, in terms of looking at Kavali, Pumri, Ghazals, these are aspects of Kathak, but kind of finding a new way to express them in a context that is more politically relevant or socially relevant for today. So I would say that, that this journey is, you know. Yes, and your fieldwork as an anthropologist, so because that is something that's new to me. So when you were doing fieldwork in, in Kathak as an anthropologist, what was a typical day like? And what would you go out and try to get done? Yes, that's a really nice question, actually. Um, so the fieldwork, um, you know, the nitty gritty details of fieldwork is always very messy um, because you plan something and then something else happens. Uh, but I kind of decided that, you know, one good thing was that I already had an entry point because I was already a Kathak dancer and I wanted to study my uh, teacher, also her school in Bhavanipur, Kolkata. And that was a fertile ground because she was drawing students from the Mafasals. She was not teaching really very, um, you know, elite people. There were some pretty um, elite people over there, but she was really um, teaching a lot of people who are not, uh, you know, not from the super upper classes and so forth. So that was really interesting. That was very insightful that I was meeting uh, and I was able to meet people from such a diverse, you know, social positions in her school. And then also I wanted to um, focus on Robindra Bharati, which is, uh, you know, in a university in Kolkata and they had a dance department there. They have a dance department there. And Bela Ornokji was teaching there. Uh, she has passed away. A very famous uh, person, again trained by Shambhu Maharaj. She was a fantastic uh, vocalist, Tumri. She used to sing Tumris and Ghazals. And, um, and then the third uh, institution was Padatik uh, Dance Center, where actually I did study with someone called Vijay Shankar, a student of Birju Maharajji, for a very short span of time. And so I thought that, okay, I, you know, and these are very different institutions. So I can actually go and do my field work, these different institutions. And that's what I did. And through that process, I started, 
you know, meeting uh, dancers, various different dancers, and uh, trying to befriend them. It's a long process, you know, and trying to explain to them what I'm trying, you know, what I'm doing, um, gathering them in different places, or maybe I will just go and talk to an individual person. So uh, generally speaking, you know, a day would start like my, you know, me going out with my pen and paper and my, uh, you know, research, uh, sorry, a cassette player. Um, uh, we didn't, I didn't videotape video people at all because um, that would just create a different kind of uh, engagement. Uh, it's very probing and people have tried, when I tried to do that, I saw that people were dressing up and getting very involved in how they're presenting themselves. So right. I said, you know, initially I said that uh, I'm not going to do that. You know, that can be a different project. And late, later on, I did do a little bit of videoing and I did make a film actually. Um, maybe I should share it with you. I forgot to do that. An sure ethnographic thing. film on Kathak dance and my we'll, field work. We'd love to see it. Uh, yeah, so it, it is called Kathak in Calcutta. Um, and uh, so that, you know, that film kind of also captures the backstage. You know, it's not because generally you see all very pretty, beautiful people and all very clean, uh, kind of a sterile environment on stage with, uh, you know, a statue of Ganesha or something like that. And this was backstage, right? So, um that was interesting and also trying to, uh, you know, get hold of some of these women were very busy. I remember one person was a nurse. She was coming to, uh, coming to uh, the city and then dancing and also dreaming about a dance career, but her life was going to be confined in space, um, you know, as a nurse. Um, so all of these were really uh, very, very enlightening for me to meet so many different kinds of people with, you know, these desires of being a dancer. And some of them were actually going to continue to be dancers. When you started your fieldwork and a lot of it involves you talking to people, uh, were you naturally outgoing as a person, which made it easier or you had to develop the skills on the fly? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really, really interesting question. So uh, my I am actually, it's hard. I think most people probably will not even nowadays, people who know me won't probably even recognize this aspect of me, but I am uh, a shy person. Like my, my initial impulse is not to raise my hand or, you know, my family members call me the ostrich. Whenever something happens, you know, I'll go and first thing is to duck and then, okay, I don't want people to look at me. And then, you know, it takes me a while to kind of, come out of it and say no 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 I have to kind of get engaged with this um, so it was a lot of work for me to cultivate that I always fe felt awkward I continue to feel awkward in fieldwork situation uh, but it's also a learning uh, process how you engage with people and I think it's really a good thing for us dancers and that's coming from my perspective because dancers especially in Indian classical dance you see that we produce a lot of divas people become very narcissistic and very much full of egos and themselves and to counter that I think that it's really useful to develop this kind of fieldwork um, aspect of your career where people might not even know who you are uh, they don't you know most people I talk to uh, 
during my field work, they don't, they didn't know that I was what anthropology meant or that, uh, you know, that whatever I was trying to do would be meaningful in any way. So I had to cultivate them. I had to cultivate their trust, try to explain to them who I was and what I'm trying to do. So that gives, gives me a kind of humility, I think. And, uh, and I think that's really important to understand that, you know, you are just really a very little speck, you know, very large spectrum of right. things that are happening. And then I guess next question from here is, is you said if you're a person who's naturally shy, then, and you deal with a lot of topics that challenge the status quo and question the existing norms for really good reason. But I imagine you get a lot of pushback for doing the right thing. And it might, and how do you deal with the men? Like if it's mentally, is it, is that something that's mentally taxing? If so, how what are the systems and processes you found that help you deal with that so that you can show up for work? And other- mm, you're asking some tough questions. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, first of all, I, I'll say that, um, you know, I'm driven by uh, convictions that, you know, this needs to be done or I really have to uh, question this and not by trends. Uh, and that's something that, is who I am, right? I don't care what is the most popular thing now or how many people actually is going to look at my work. Uh, And the reason I can do it is also because I have this other job, right? I have, I don't have to worry about my finances in terms of surviving as an artist. I have to say that first, that because it's so important that when we are talking about any kind of, you know, pushing against the grain, which I very much do, that I really have another way to sustain myself. And that is why I can do that. Um, And so, um, but it is who I am, right? That I'm going to be, uh, you know, pushing or writing against the grain. And that, uh, of course, I, that was a self-discovery also. I didn't know that that's what I will be doing with my work. And that kind of emerged through what I get inspired by or excited about. Um, or, you know, emotional about, I think also my passion is uh, driven by these kinds of agendas, Uh, but my sustenance definitely has been, uh, first of all, my family, uh, my husband and my son, uh, and my parents also, you know, uh, in the past. Now, of course, my father passed away. My mother lives in India. Um, I have two brothers, but they are engineers. They are not into the arts, but they are, they have always surrounded. Uh, my husband uh, is a big support, although he does not belong to the art world, um, but he's a, he's a big support. He's a social scientist uh, and he understands uh, intellectually and artistically what I'm doing and always encourages me. My son uh, is uh, chose to be a doctor and he's doing his residency right now. So we are three very different individuals, uh, you know, who have just somehow managed to live together uh, with our own very intense career choices and what we do. So I think that's the kind of sustenance for me that we don't, I don't belong to a community or, you know, even the smallest microcosm of the community, my family, that I have people who are constantly doing work with me, 
um, they will always challenge what I'm doing actually. And, you know, I always joke with my son that he'll come and fall asleep in some of my performances. So I have to kind of make him excited about it or uh, get all the worstism from my, you know, husband. Uh, so, I mean, I think that these are sustenances for me because they also hold me up. It's not that they are constantly only criticizing or falling asleep. Um, they hold me up and they um, support me and believe in me. Um, so that's been really important. And the courtyard dancers, I have to say that I found community through them. And if you, you've met some of them, uh, I'm very lucky to work with a very smart people. I mean, these are really highly intelligent, very smart and socially aware human beings, individuals. Um, and that really helps also because uh, they sustain me as well and, and their engagement, their curiosity, their you know, desire to learn more about Indian dance or Indian culture, Indian music, cinema, art. I mean, all of this is a part of, I think, the microcosm that we have created together and my sustenance. Okay, and I'm glad you mentioned community, uh, community courtyard dancers, my bad, uh, and that you found community in courtyard dancers, but that's also a community that you've created yourself. So how did that, that start? So courtyard dancers started, you know, like I said, we started as a performing group and the first piece right. was Silencing the Notch. And at that time, uh, Naina uh, Green, Naina Roy Chudhuri was actually studying with me. Uh, even prior to that, I was in grad school and she just saw me performing somewhere and she wanted to uh, study with me. So she was already my student. And then uh, I was teaching at Bryn Mawr College at that time. I had just finished my uh, degree and I was teaching at Bryn Mawr College. And then there, I was teaching some students in this class who got interested. Um, and uh, so, and then there was another uh, person who joined me. Uh, the person who was at Bryn Mawr College, her name is Anjali. And then Komal was another person who joined me, started studying with me, somehow found me. I don't know how she found me, but she found me. And so, and then Diditi Mitra was there also. She was a sociologist student at Temple University where I finished my degree. So all of us started, you know, uh, kind of thinking about things together. And uh, I worked with them and we were rehearsing uh, at Bryn Mawr College at that time. And I remember all of these people contributed to what Gotia Dances was going to be, you know, later on um, because, uh, because we really did not have any platform. I did not come out of a dance department. You see, I didn't have the networks. Even now, I don't have that kind of network. Um, I came out of an anthropology department where, you know, nobody really cares about whether you're a performer or a dancer or not. It's very much strictly academic. Um, so... Uh, we somehow found that platform and the first time we performed was at Bryn Mawr College and like about 400 people came to see the show uh, and uh, it was kind of, it just kind of dawned on me that there is this community of South Asians and people who are interested in South Asian culture and dance out there. So we should be continuing to do this. And then we started performing, you know, we would perform in churches, we would perform in street, on the streets, uh, 
anywhere and everywhere. And we were not performing for money or anything. We'll just, um, whoever said we are doing this fundraiser, okay, we, we are go, we'll go and perform. Um, so uh, it was quite uh, exciting actually to be doing this. And uh, that's how we started. And then I started writing a few grants, which I did get, you know, collaborated with Daniel Singh, uh, who's a well-known uh, you know, a choreographer and a Bharatanatyam dancer in Washington, D.C. So in that way, we started getting a platform, but also I had um, to be absolutely candid about it. I had issues with the grants process. Uh, and so I stopped writing grants. Uh, I had issues with how I was pushed into framing my work in a certain way. Um, so I said that I don't have to do this. I cannot compromise like this. My vision and my freedom, you know, in this has to be the topmost priority. Um, otherwise, how will I be, be honest with myself and continue to do this work in the diaspora? You see, it's not that easy. It's like I'm trying to plant the seeds of something in this culture in Philadelphia where it really does not belong. And so... I have to continuously tend it, nurture it, put a lot of water to make it grow. Uh, and so it was important that I have my full freedom in terms of how I'm going to do this. And so we actually do not have any patronage from the, you know, from grants or anything right now. And, but we have been able to sustain ourselves. So it kind of grew like that, you know, from that very basic uh, sort of level of performing you know anywhere and everywhere uh, to now of course we are doing the facing east festival and we are able to sustain ourselves and there is a system um, and i must uh, mention romit uh, you know sahani who is our manager uh, program manager and um, and these people i mean i i just have to say that i've been very lucky because romit just you know came to me and said that I want to help you out um, because he felt that I really didn't know what I was doing in terms of, you know, the finances, the organization. And he asked me that how, uh, because he's a marketing guy, right? And he understands what, how to do these things, how to market yourselves, which I don't really understand at all. And he says, he told me that, you know, how big do you want your institution or your organization to be? And uh, is it this size or that? It was very clear. Like you have to kind of decide about that first and then you decide what you do about it. So that really brought a lot of clarity in terms of what is it that I'm trying to. So I realized that, no, I don't want it to be, you know, institutionalized. And it doesn't matter whether we are touring the world or anything like that. Um, this should be something that will bring South Asians or people who are interested in South Asian art or dance together, like creating a little mini India um, in Philadelphia or India interested people in Philadelphia and uh, or South Asia interested people in Philadelphia. And I have been able to, I think, to some extent create that because if you look at the people who are uh, in Kotia dancers, they are, uh, first of all, we are multi-generational or intergenerational. Uh, second, we have, you know, Bengalis, Marwaris, uh, Punjabi, Tamils, Telugus, I mean, you name it, Pakistani. We have, uh, you know, our musician, tabla player is also from Pakistan. 
Um, so we have been able to create that kind of diversity and Indians from India and India, second generation Indians, Gujaratis. Um, so it's a mix of people, but we are obviously, we don't have males. I mean, there is one or two males, but in Kotia Dances Philadelphia, we have no male dancers. That's not because I chose not to include male dancers, but they never got interested. It's great that you're interested in Kathak because I have never been able to um, have male dancers in Philadelphia, but I know that Sagar is there in uh, Pittsburgh and we have, I've worked with Sagar, you know, through Nana for our last show in New York uh, called, in, in a show we called Riaz, the piece that we were touring um, when the COVID happened. So, um, yeah, so that's how, you know, this has kind of survived and that's where we are with it right now. Right. Uh, yes, I'm not uh, too surprised about the male dancer thing. I'm the first male dancer in my academy in Indiana. So I think mm. just a yeah. matter of time and someone shows up and then you see them and then other guys get inspired. So it's a slower process. And yes, I did I did see Kamath on one of your workshops. He dances like an absolute dream. And then yes, Nana yeah. told me he's been dancing for five years. I was like, wow, okay. So that was pretty amazing. And I guess that brings me to my next question because you were talking about courtyard dancers and a lot of the culture of courtyard dancers comes from your earlier experiences as you saw the injustices in our, in our traditional systems of Kathak. So how did you build that culture in courtyard dancers so that you don't repeat the mistakes that you saw other people do? So that's, um, I think that that's a really pertinent question today because there's been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, commotion right now. I see a lot of people talking about the Guru Shishya system and the abuse intrinsic to the system. Um, and I know that you are reading Bells of Change or you've read Bells of Change and you'll see that, you know, in 2000, it was written, you know, so many years ago. I mean, it came out in 2008, but you see that those women were talking about the Guru Shishya system and resisting the system. Uh, it's nothing new. I mean, these girls, you know, I had talked to at that time, many of them coming from the, like I said, uh, the, you know, uh, marginalized communities were talking about the difficulties of the system, the abuses in the system. The book really has that aspect of it, the problems of Guru Shisha. And one of the things that I kind of positioned myself initially in the beginning of the book is about that we are going to write an alternative history, which is going to challenge the hegemony of the Guru Shisha system. Um, so I think that's absolutely central to what I have created in the courtyard dances also. And that was one of the things that I wanted to do is to modernize something that is so feudal. I found it to be extremely feudal. It continues to be feudal. Um, that how do I uh, use the classical arts, but create that space where we can not embrace these kinds of feudal hierarchy and patriarchy. Um, and so my dancers are very much aware of this system. And uh, that's the culture that we have created. We talk about it. We, we Obviously, we don't go public about it because these are also, as you know, that, you know, um, people feel uncomfortable about talking there about maybe some of the abuses that they have seen with their own gurus. Uh, and some of them also, some of it is also sexual exploitation. So these are very sensitive issues. Um, 
but uh, we do not have that structure of uh, you know pranam like they come in and tell me that oh you are my guru i want to do pranam we don't have any of that we don't have any hindu deity in the classroom or we we are teaching you know absolutely very much the grammar of kathak but we do not have any of those uh, you know elements of uh, you know religiosity or feudal um, structures that are part of it and you can talk to my students in terms of my approach because you know i can be thinking that i'm doing this you know in a way that creates perhaps some kind of equality um, but you can talk to my students you know in terms of how i engage them or you know how we create this community but i'm always trying to listen to what they're saying um always sharing my thoughts with them and they also you know sometimes they would say like this costume is just outrageous i'm not going to wear it or you know uh, you're crazy uh, you know <laughs> all kinds of things we have a pretty much uh, as much as possible because i'm still their teacher i understand that that as much as possible we try to be honest with each other um and uh, and i'm glad that you know nana maha mahashweta who's a very important part of the kotha dancers philadelphia she teaches here in in philadelphia the other kotha students that they um they are also creating that kind of an environment and they are not they are not interested in producing this kind of docile students who are not going to question the teacher or con- continuously be obsequious you know that they have to always say that oh you are you are so great or you are so right uh, i mean that culture of kathak is absolutely disgusting to me uh, and it really needs to stop right now and unless we acknowledge the problems of this hierarchy and this you know patriarchy uh, we will not be able to modernize the system at all it's impossible to kind of talk about becoming contemporary dancers and all of this without actually acknowledging what is wrong because it has demoralized uh, the democracy you know it has demoralized identities and expressions uh, in within the system and it has to be acknowledged and reckoned with and moved and then we have to move on and you can hear the passion in my voice <laughs> because uh, because i seriously think that there is something demoralizing in that this system right and um, since you mentioned contemporary i do want to go there but real quick since we're talking about hierarchy i wanted to understand how you strike a balance so i understand there's a need to eliminate hierarchies and the power dynamics at the same time you're still the artistic director and the leader in your company how do you make sure that a that you're able to give your students a voice but ultimately the final is that you are able to influence them and you lead the company in the way you want it to does that question make sense yes absolutely yes and that is a difficult balance i mean i'm not mm-hmm. saying that i've found i've found the perfect solution to this uh, but the fact is that first of all we have to reckon with the fact that this kind of guru shishya hierarchy teaching is a big problem and really we need to address it and try to find some kind of a common ground uh, where we are we are acknowledging our students as individuals that they bring their own stories their own life histories into the classroom that i am not going to be uh, you know shaping them into one homogenous group 
first of all, that needs to be acknowledged that the individual has to be acknowledged first, who's come to, you know, be taught, who has come to learn the dance. Um, so for, first of all, we, I start from there to acknowledge that. Right. And then um, throughout the process, I try to um, get into a situation where we can have a conversation continuously. Uh, you know, the, the, when I'm teaching Kathak, you know, in the classroom, I try to teach them uh, in a way like a bowl or, uh, you know, I was just teaching Gathnikas during the summer this time. And so I was trying to uh, teach them like these are the basic traditional Gathnikases and these are the some types of Gatnikas that I have created that are more contemporary uh, in the sense of, you know, use the same Ghungat idea, but that Ghungat just kind of throwing the Ghungat away, what does that mean? So metaphorically, you know, changing these uh, gestures and, and then what does it mean, but keeping it within the structure. So I was teaching like that. And I told them that now if you want to create a Gatnikas, and you know what Gatnikas is, right? You are a Kathak dancer. So if um, you no, want... actually, I'm fairly new. So could you tell me a little bit about what a Gatnika is? Okay, so Gatnikas is basically something that you learn towards. Once you have, you know, there is a structure of learning within the Kathak format. Uh, so you learn Gatnikas when you uh, have learned pretty much some bowls and, you know, uh, you're advanced to some extent into the Kathak uh, repertoire. And gat means movement and nikas means to bring the character out. So there are these various gat nikas. In fact, in Vajadalisha's court, you know, in the treaties, you will see uh, people when they were writing, they have written about gat nikas. Vajadali himself has written about gat nikas. So it's a traditional item in Kathak. And they have, of course, emerged in different ways. Now we have different, different uh, gat nikas like the you know, the Ghungat, Ghungat Gat, uh, there is one Gat Nikas, then there is uh, Mayur Gat, Gat is to walk, or to, and there is Mayur Gat, there is Ghungat Gat. Um, so there are many Gats like this. You can also do Krishna. So bringing a character out to movement, and there is a structured pattern of moving. So I was teaching them that, and then I kind of told them that now you can create your own personalities, right? You are your own characters that you want to express through Gat Nikas. So always kind of creating some kind of a room for interpretation that it, it's, it need not be confined here. It can be imagined in some other way. So the idea of imagination is important. It's very important how you can reimagine something, right? So I show them how I am reimagining this. And then I am always, always trying to give them that space that so they can reimagine it. Now, if it's my choreography, then obviously I have the, you know, lead in doing those kinds of imaginations. Um, but I hope that they will become choreographers themselves. I know Nana choreographs sometimes and that, you know, uh, they can also create their own work. In fact, during the Gatnikas, many of them were actually sending me their own uh, interpretations of Gatnikas, which I, we didn't publish or we didn't do anything with it. Perhaps we should. Um, Palak, um, who is a senior dancer, created a beautiful Gatnikas, in fact, with salams. Um, then there was another uh, student who created another, uh, uh, Sagar actually did a beautiful video out of which he shared on Facebook. 
from the workshop itself. I've seen that one. I've seen. Okay, so that mm-hmm. came out of that, uh, you know, residency, or I wouldn't say, you know, it's all digital platform, but that kind of, a inter- you know, uh, kind of uh, intensive that we did on Gatnikas during the summer. And I guess one thing I do ask everyone is that in your teaching methodology, how do you enforce the concept of like doing riyas and being regular with it so that you get better without being too overbear- overbearing on you? Yeah, I mean, that's something that is a struggle. Um, I keep telling my students uh, that you have to do riyas. And the term that I use, I've been using this for a very long time, is that otherwise you're going to be stuck in twilight. And they know this, that, okay, now she's getting to the point that she's going to say that we are stuck in the twilight zone. So I, and the twilight zone means that you will keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you will never be able to emerge from that zone because I will never, we'll never be able to progress. Right. So that Riyaz and twilight zone are interconnected in their heads right now for my students that if you don't do it, then, you know, be stuck in the twilight zone, you won't progress, you know, and then you'll stop coming to class. And I know that this has happened so many times, you know, we have so many people sign up for our classes and then they don't continue with Kathak. Kathak is hard. There's no way around it. It's, it's hard. It takes a long time to learn. It's full of grammar, you know, mathematics, riyas, all kinds of, you know, uh, music, musicalities, poetry. It's rich, right? And it takes a long time to learn this. It's very hard. So are you ready for this journey? Um, and if you don't do the basic, that is Riyaz, then you'll be stuck in the twilight zone. I mean, this is, I'm very open. And I tell my students, like, if you're not people who come through the door, that if you're not ready for this commitment, then you can leave. And I'm not, it's not judgmental. It's, it is a lot of time from your life. And do I have the right to take that also? I'm taking people Sunday afternoons. And also sometimes during the week, I take their time you know in this world because like i said they are not going to be dancers most of them are not going to pursue their careers in dance they have other lives they are professionals they are scientists they are you know lawyers or they have other work that the students you know committed uh, students or some of them are academicians themselves so how much time can i take from them and so uh, so this is something that they know that this is a commitment and are they ready for it? Okay. And that really puts it in perspective. And that brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you, since we've been talking a little bit about contemporary. And I know that you have your own take on whether Kathak is, should be called a classical or is it contemporary? So could you tell, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, that also um, goes back to my uh, original question of, you know, what is Kathak dance? Uh, because it is fundamental to how the dance has been uh, historicized or written about, let's say. Historicized is such a big word, academic word, but it's written about, right, in the modern period. Right. That history is actually incorrect. People say Kathak starts from the word Kathaka and completely Sanskritizes it from these male Kathaka Brahmins who were going from uh, temples and courtyards and dancing and Kathak is from there. That's just an incorrect Hinduization of the dance. Interesting. Um, um, so, but, you know, and I've written about it and Kathak 
you know, is a syncretic dance form. We don't talk about, you know, if you look at Indian history, nobody talks about in a serious way. Nobody talks about history in terms of, oh, there was Hindu history, there's Muslim history, and then there is modern history. That's not how Indian history is talked about also. These are not compartmentalized historical periods. There were always interactions between the Hindus and the Muslims and how this dance, uh, you know, was... Uh, kind of uh, is an amalgamation of different aspects of Indian culture. And it really grew in the Islamic courts, the Hindu and the Islamic courts. The gharanas are very modern concepts from the 19th through the 20th century. They emerged, you know, during that time. Um, so what are the paintings of these dancers that you see all the time in miniature paintings? And who are these women, you know, and in travelogues? So if you look at the history of Kathak, it's all over is that the courtesans were the dancers, the tawaifs, Muslim women. So we have a concocted history that, you know, nobody is really interested in looking at this history because of the way the state centralized it under one name and monopolized it by Virja Maharaj. Um, so, I mean, this is all highly political and to even talk about it, you know, people will not be able to talk about it because then they might be delimited delegitimized, right? Delegitimized. But it's a huge monopoly uh, that has developed in the Kathak uh, scenarios. And um, so in that sense, you know, there is that uh, problem of how to think about the history of Kathak. And can you go back to your question again so I can, you know, specifically address Sure. I guess I was referring to your snippet in the New York Kathak Festival where you talk okay. about Kathak the, being, if you call Kathak a classical dance, it gets relegated to a certain section versus what is contemporary dance. Okay. So then the question is, this history is obviously something that has to be questioned. And the history was rewritten during the nationalist period. That's why history is so important, right? And when it was rewritten during the nationalist period, we have this kind of a, a historical linear narrative where Kattak is also now sent back to the Natashastra. It's got nothing to do with it. So now this linear history has emerged and all of this is modern. So what is we are calling classical and that's the stim that you saw. I was trying to explain that what we are calling classical is modern because the nationalist went back to this Vedic period of Indian Indian civilization to create this linear rational history writing, right? For and textualized it. They textualized it and narrativized it in a way. Um, so what you see today is modern history. And so classical is basically modern. And then we have created these binaries, right? Tradition, modern, classical, and then um, contemporary is another binary that we are creating. So that's what I was saying that um, we are, if you now will want to, you know, embrace other dance forms and incorporate it within Kathak and they are doing it, you know, uh, and you know, Akram Khan's work, who's just kind of a very famous international uh, celebrity dancer. Um, there are many people who are doing this, but uh, what I was trying to say there is that we are, should be aware of the fact that we are creating another binary of classical and contemporary as because we have already created this binary of traditional and modern when what is tradition is modern. Um, so then contemporary is basically then we think classical is something that is that belongs to the past um, and then contemporary is something that's now 
uh, and then when you are doing classical dance in the contemporary time then what is it is it classical or contemporary how are you going to think about it in terms of the period period like it's happening now in temporal terms you know when is it being performed or is it going to be thinking about historically is it artistically so all of these binaries are for me i mean falling into binary itself is a problem it kind of reduces our thing um and so i thought that okay we are falling into another binary and again contemporary also is a term that we are picking up from the western uh, you know descriptions of dance or art in general um so uh, why couldn't kathak be kathak because also you see people are calling uh, sufi kathak uh, kathak because people who are trying to identify the muslim uh, aspects of kathak they are or the the wife contributes to kathak there is uh, sufi kathak now so then there is sufi kathak i don't know whether we are going to call it hindu kathak because kathak itself is a composite hindu and muslim it's a syncretic dance form um it has been hinduized and it's continuously being hinduized even more and more today um, but it is you know if you look at the indian medieval past if you look at indian court history courtly history it grew together um, just like indian classical music uh, you know north indian classical music sitar if you look at the history of sitar the history of tabla you can see who the contributors are it is not hindu or muslim it's a syncretic thing but many of these ustads or who invented these traditions are muslims um so now in modern india we have so many different problems you know terminologies these identities these binaries so i was just addressing the fact that we are falling into another binary and um and then you know attributing certain quality to people or forms like classical and contemporary so that brings me to my next question for avidhi if it were up to you and you had to define what kathak is and so what would that definition be for you so i have i mean i can send it to you how i have written about a kathak's history in one page right what right. it is um okay. but i i don't define anything I, I don't see. like the term definition is for scientists right they define something and underline it like this okay, okay. this is this is like a, a plus b equals c mm-hmm. um culture is not like that okay uh, art is also not like that there is no definition okay um so it is a fluid uh, thing right you mm-hmm. shape it the way you want to okay and uh, that shaping is very important that how we are going to be talking about it or what you are going to be dancing mm-hmm. is the shaping of that art form and how okay. are we going to be shaping it is the key question here okay and so i don't want to see i don't think that my the ideal world and we of course it's very right. difficult to have this kind of ideal world but since you're asking the question yes um in the ideal world it should be a contribution of the multiplicity of voices that represent india that it and this is the thing like kathak has folk elements also it has court elements it has hindu and muslim elements so why couldn't we find a common ground which would bring people together rather than you know separate people into different compartments um and i think that this is the aspect of uh, and i also feel very uh, you know um, strongly about this i just made a yes. short piece on amir khusro amir khusro's work um 
who was, uh, you know, uh, one of the most important, uh, you know, iconic figures of uh, Indian music and dance and poetry and Hindi language and so much. Uh, but that pluralistic idea of culture is very important, especially for India. That, and we have examples of people or we have examples like even Akbar who brought all of these together, these pluralism together. And there are other examples. So I think that's, and Kathaki emerges out of that milieu, right? And now something that emerges from this multiplicity and this pluralism, we are now talking about Sufi Kathak, Hindu Kathak, I mean, nobody's saying Hindu Kathak, but, you know, one wonders whether that's what is going on. There's so much of Hindu uh, imageries in Kathak right now. And then we have contemporary Kathak. Um, so various fragments of one dance form, right? Okay. And just following up on this, so say, I guess one more thing I want to ask you is, say if you meet someone new and you tell them you do Kathak and they say, what is Kathak? So how do you usually introduce Kathak to people who are new or haven't heard of it before? Yes. Um, so, you know, in that context, I have to share this story with you. Um, Absolutely. So <laughs> this was a cultural organization in Philadelphia and I had gone there. It was a meeting and then somebody from India, I can't ne- mention names here, but somebody from India who was representing this cultural organization asked me that, what do you do? So I said, I am a Kathak dancer. And he asked and he told me, uh, well, um, why, you know, asked me rather. Uh, why are you doing a foreign dance? So that's when I first realized that, oh my God, I mean, growing up in India, I wasn't aware of it. This In this country, after so many years, and this happened a few years ago though, that somebody is calling Kathak a foreign dance. And then I realized, okay, it's foreign because it's associated with Mughal, uh, you know, quotes and things like that. So this is the othering of Kathak that has happened. You know, Kathak is the other of classical Indian dance. Uh, because it doesn't fit. It has been, people have tried to fit it into this other classical narratives of Natya Shastra and Hinduism and all of that, the Brahmin Katakas, it does not fit. And so somebody like him can ask me that I'm doing a foreign dance. And he was candid enough to kind of blurt it out like that. But a lot of people will say, okay, okay, no. And it's also the Tawai stigma, right? A lot of people who know about Kathak is okay, it's out of prostitution and, you know, or Hindi films that, you know, they have not understood the history that Hindi films is trying to represent there. So all of this problem is is an aspect of the Kathak uh, form. And so I usually say that it's a dance form that is uh, from North and East India, but now performed all over the world. And it is a syncretic dance form that brings Hindus and Muslim cultural elements together, but it grew in the courts of India, the Islamic and the Hindu courts, mainly the Islamic courts in India. That's what I say. And now, of course, it's a modern, you know, it's performed everywhere. Okay, yeah. And I just, um, and I really like the word syncretic. I just learned that today. I was looking it up while you were discussing that. And uh, I'll keep that in mind. Thank you for sharing that. Because I guess in my, I've always assumed that Kathak is the cool Indian dance form right now, just because I guess I'm immersed in it. The next thing I did want to ask you, Pallavidi, is that the work you do with Shuvashram, in Kolkata because mm-hmm. it seems like that is something that is really important to you. It's mentioned prominently on your website and the Korea Dancers website. 
So yeah, tell mm-hmm. us a little, little bit about that, please. So Shubhash Gram is in the outskirts of Kolkata. And it is a small town, I would say, a official semi-village, uh, but semi-town, kind of in the middle, right? It's kind of developing into a town or, a, you know, like an urban uh, hub, but not at all like that. So it's a, uh, it's a socio-economically, uh, you know, n- not um, uh, an aff- affluent place at all. So... Um, so Shubhash Gram is basically, um, Gram means village and Shubhash Chandra Bose, you know, the famous uh, freedom fighter, it's named after him. Yeah. And so be, Shubhash, and our class is, um, you know, takes place in this clubhouse by the railway tracks in Shubhash Gram. Clubhouse run by the Trinomol, um, you know, Congress boys. Um, but at the same time, we have nothing to do with the political party over there. We are just doing our work over there because that space is important. You know, that clubhouse is important by the railway tracks because it's accessible to people in the community. And the Shubhash Gram started again, um, you know, not again because I had planned to do this, uh, but I'm delighted and really happy to be doing it. Um, but one time I was practicing at home in my flat in Kolkata during my field work, during one of my field work um, in India. And the lady who was uh, cleaning my house at that time said that you are a dancer. I didn't know Didi, you are a dancer. And I, my daughter is dancing in front of the television all the time. And this is the time when reality shows were just about emerging on television, right? Okay. And people were very excited to see all these Hindi film songs and people were just dancing everywhere. So she said, we have like, um, you know, a television in my Bhashur's house, you know, her in-law's place. And then mm-hmm. this is where this is happening. My daughter is just going and dancing front of the television so through that you know I actually she invited me to her house and I met all the people over there and she said Didi can you teach them so I said I don't live here how can I be teaching them and um, so this was a you know one room house a mud house kind of a house that I went to and uh, it's you know people in in India especially in the villages um, you feel like a celebrity when you go there I mean all the people came they had cooked uh, you know meat and dal for me and I was so touched you know by the reception I got there and uh, and the kids were so interested in learning how to dance so I said I have to do something and this is the way you know I collaborated with um, this is the way I started I collaborated with a man over there Ronjit Babu who helped me to find the space. So it was a lot of back and forth. Um, and then Kotia dancers like Palaksi has gone there, uh, performed with them. And then we actually did a big performance with one of my uh, friends, uh, childhood friends, and now a collaborator, uh, Priyadarshini Ghosh. We did a performance together uh, with the Shubhash Gram kids at ICCR in Kolkata. So even now, I mean, uh, Urmila Das, who teaches them, she had organized a big concert with them, uh, which had to be shut down because of COVID. Um, so I, our idea has been to actually uh, bring dance into their lives so that they don't drop out of schools. Uh, one of the reasons I got involved uh, in this project is because 
through this lady, you know, the people I came to know, I saw that these girls are still getting married when they're 16 or 17 and having babies right away. And there was this need for them not to have babies or not to run away and get married or, you know, not even run away, but sometimes the parents are arranging these marriages themselves. Um, how can they stay in school? How can they, you know, get interested in something other than getting married and, uh, you know, just uh, having babies and things like that. So when I started these classes, I just realized that the mothers, right, and they were also dancing. And the mothers said, okay, we want to dance too. So I said, how, okay, I mean, how can the mothers be dancing? And then when I actually started meeting them, I saw that they are like, in their 20s I mean they are very young they, young mothers of, of course they want to dance so then it was a learning experience as you can imagine for me and every time I'm there I see how uh, how these girls are um, kind of developing but again even there uh, there are a lot of issues a lot of problems uh, you know in terms of sustaining their interest they don't come back a lot of times lose interest, get married, um, all kinds of, even I've heard of getting, you know, a lot of, you know, horrible things about trafficking. I mean, it, it's a mess out there. So uh, we are trying to do very little, but at least something. And uh, I remember reading on your website somewhere that you had some event where the courtyard dancers and the people of Subhashram came together for a joint event. Could you tell us a little bit about that, how that went? Yes, that's the ICCR event I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, so that event was organized, uh, you know, at ICCR. And we uh, decided that, uh, you know, we were going to be doing this uh, piece, uh, a particular piece that I had choreographed uh, with my students here called unsung arrivals um so decided okay because it was very it was using very basic kathak moves and things like that that what if we teach uh, the shubhashgram uh, students this piece part of it and then we can kind of develop it that way this program and so a couple of uh Korea dancers myself maha and palak uh, we started having rehearsals at Palak's house and the students would come from Shubhashgram and they were so disciplined. It, it was obviously, you can imagine, we had like three weeks to rehearse to do this. So every, um, you know, I don't know how many times they came now, but, the, you know, they would come all together five o'clock sharp and, you know, rehearse till nine or whatever and gather together and leave together you know this is a lot of coordination but they rehearsed they were amazing in terms of how much they learned and of course they were already learning Kata, but Urmila was there also with us teaching them right and then we performed I mean we all performed on the same stage I didn't perform but Cotillard also performed with them and it was hard to tell who's come from America and who's come from Shubhashram and that's really interesting. And how did you feel yes. that that happened when you saw them on stage? It was really terrific. I think that they just were not on stage, but their parents were there, right? Some of the parents from Shubhashgram came to see their kids on stage. And they were, uh, you know, just to see those faces uh, were really amazing. I mean, they couldn't believe that their daughters were up there dancing like that. And, uh, and I 
also saw the potential uh, you know i'm just looking at these uh, girls and realizing how much potential is there and that has been my reason you know my uh, academic work on television dance reality shows is been part of it is also driven by this that we do not even know how much talent is out there because there are no opportunity right for the people who are in the belonging to these underclasses there are no opportunities so we don't even know who is talent um only the privileged few we see right and they are the ones who get all the opportunities and they are the ones we see on stage um so so it's just um absolutely uh, heartwarming to see the talent um or the talents that are out there you know whatever way we can access them because it's such a difficult uh, proposition in india and across the body of work you do present and future are there any projects that are in the pipeline and i know covid has put kind of a wrench in everything but are there are there any projects that are right, you're doing right now that are upcoming that you're really excited and you want to discuss well yeah covid has been difficult very right. difficult i couldn't mm-hmm. go back to india for my field work so i'm working on yoga right now um uh, which is a big topic but um, i'm doing field work research in pune academic work is on yoga and healing um and the uh, in the courtyard front i am actually exploring a piece called the khusru circle and i did premiere a part of it like a very little piece of it in the rasa festival you might want to go and check that out it's on my facebook um so it really looks at Khusru's one of the earliest ghazals by Khusru Amir Khusru this you know iconic figure i've been talking about but the Khusru circle is you know i'm just kind of uh, in the process of creating the piece i want to bring uh, ideas of eroticism uh, that is part of Khusru's kind of uh, you know uh, poetry and music together with uh, ideas of um, you know uh i guess i'm still kind of exploring it but ideas of um destruction or complete uh, erasure um you know some kind of a oppositional rasa um which uh, goes against that politic there is no politics of rasa right but these kinds of um, really um dark destructive aspects bivatsa uh, rasa maybe um kind of bringing those elements together but in a contemporary context so i'm trying to figure it out how to again look at emotions and how they are expressed you know in different ways and the idea of um, i'm also kind of interested in exploring the geometries of kathak as part of these emotional aspects it's very vague right now but um, basically trying to look at poetry music and emotion and how they come together okay yeah keep me in touch about how that happens and since we're coming to the end of this uh, my final question for you was about i guess legacy because now you're at a point where you've established yourself as a professor you have courtyard dancer where your own students have teachers themselves you have you have uh, so many students that are under you doing their own research so and so you see these there's so many people you've kind of inspired to take up their own fields and you have all these people that have started from you how do you feel about them where they're taking your work and the future of all i mean 
thank you uh, for uh, thinking that I've created a legacy because uh, I don't see myself like that. But um, I guess I have students. Um, uh, I do have a lot of students who are very dedicated to the dance and to research. Um, and I am absolutely uh, in awe of them, actually, what they do. I'm absolutely absolutely um, inspired by them and i learn from them all the time i do think that they are doing amazing work they have so much conviction um so i'm very excited to see them their growth and their possibilities and where they will be taking this because i also see that they're very brave and they have a lot less inhibition than uh, many of us and they can voice their thoughts in a much more articulate way than many of us. So I am very excited about the possibilities as long as we give them that space, right? That's why I was speaking so strongly about this hierarchy and the demoralizing effect of hierarchy in Kathak that we won't let, if we continue to do this, we'll only have very small cross-section of the population who will be able to get their voices out in the most original way that it's the this will be a baggage the tradition the baggage of tradition with throttling their voices and we cannot do that at least you know as responsible adults should not let that happen and i guess i feel that i'm sure your students are very talented themselves but a reason that they are able to put their voices out and you find them to be braver is the is because you've given them that platform and you've paved the way to show them the, and led by example. So I'm sure they do have you to thank for that. And on that note, yes, I would like to say thank you for coming on this. This conversation has been eye-opening. I've been learning a lot on the fly on the conversation as well. It's been great to learn about you as a person as well. And yeah, and thanks again. Thank you, Pramit.